today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine back at the station keeping the Scott Thompson Home Show uh, on the air. Feel free to jump into the conversation. We would love to hear from you. Uh, kind of a positive uh, commentary today on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Uh, we got to live a life. Uh, we can't live in fear. Uh, it's a pretty bizarre time. You know, pandemics, uh, the world's burning up, uh, coming to an end, all of this sort of thing. And um, uh, we can overcome this. Uh, some ingenuity, some unity, and uh, we can solve problems of the world as we have historically. And that's something to remember. Uh, been a while since we've been through uh, well, we've never been through a global pandemic, but it certainly happened before. Uh, we have certainly made phenomenal gains. There is lots to learn from this. And uh, I'm a little concerned the message is becoming very negative, especially with the young kids. Uh, we have to keep the positivity in this and and, and recognize uh, the goals we have achieved and the progress we have made. All right. Uh, sounds like COVID-19, doesn't it? Uh, Quebec soon to implement vaccine passports. Lots of calls for Ontario to do the same, yet we hear that this is a federal scenario, not a provincial, and it becomes a patchwork, uh, as well as mandatory vaccination around healthcare workers or even those in educational uh, fields of, of work as well. Let's bring in Dr. Ahmad Khalid, health policy expert, advisor, medical doctor, and lecturer on health systems and policy, and is with us now. Ahmad, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Same to you, Scott. Thanks for having me. Let me ask you this, doctor. Do you think it is capable to, to deal or handle with the hesitancy issues without making a vaccination mandatory? Well, I mean, I think there's two things happening here. I think the majority of people who are not getting vaccinated here are probably still concerned about the safety of the vaccines, which the evidence has now been clear that the vaccines are safe. However, the, the, you know, we're not really understanding precisely where the core issue comes with the hesitancy for them. And the second issue is that I'm not sure that we'll, they'll have a choice anymore in terms of whether they can get vaccinated or not. There is the Charter of Rights. There are people's individual freedom. However, when the, when the city or the province decides that it's going to mandate vaccines for non-essential services at some point, then everybody else would have to follow suit and get the vaccine. And also, last, I will say that there is the issue with international travelers, Scott. So we know other countries in the world might not care about our own charter rights and will mandate people coming into their shores to prove that they have been vaccinated. You bring up a valid point, and, and we've talked about many reasons for hesitancy, but it seems the, the answer is becoming a bit more consistent, and you use the word fear. Um, I, I think, you know, as we become vaccinated and the discussion and the debate has continued among workers, family, uh, whatever, uh, in regard to vaccinated or, or, or not vaccinated. Um, and I think what surpri- has surprised me is it doesn't seem to be any stereotype. It's people from all walks of life. But I think you've hit the nail on the head. What I've noticed from those that I have encountered is it does all come back to fear. It does come back to fear, of course. I mean, I think that people are just, you know, people who are not vaccinated have some genuine concerns around uh, the vaccine itself or the impact the vaccine will have on their bodies or health outcomes. Some want to wait longer to see what the long-term effects would look like. Um, Some people are just not into vaccines to begin with, and so they don't care as much about the evidence. They just don't want to have the vaccine. And so there are different scenarios that are playing here. It's not a judgment call on people. This is an individual choice. However, Mm -hmm. when your individual choice impacts others, 
then it becomes a public conversation. And I think this is the difference between, you know, your choice for what you would like happen to you as opposed to when your, when your choice impacts others and the repercussions that can happen from that. And I think this is why provinces like Quebec and other parts of the world, they are mandating vaccines for everybody because they realize that your individual choice is no longer on your own because it can have an effect on others. Uh, that being said, um, many may say the same thing about their position and how they feel uh, about uh, the vaccination. In other words, uh, it's not mandatory, but if you want to, for example, be in a university residence, if you want, for example, to be in long-term care, you you know you do have to be vaccinated. Is that does not not does that not make it mandatory in the sense that? Uh, well, no, it's your option, but if you want this job, yes, in fact, it is mandatory. I mean, yes. I mean, to be quite, quite honest with you, I think we're all trying to say very politically correct words for the same thing, which is that yeah. you will eventually have no choice but to get vaccinated. Let me put it this way. You know, if we start saying that you can't go to concerts until you're vaccinated, you can't go to hospitals until you're vaccinated, you can't go to universities unless you're vaccinated, but you can choose not to get vaccinated, well, what are you leaving those people of choice with? Like, are they never mm-hmm. going to go to a hospital? Are they never need to go to schools or, or concerts? It's almost like you're, everybody's trying to be politically correct with the same undertone messaging, which is get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And if you choose not to, we're going to make your life very difficult. And that's really what it is. I mean, we could choose all the wording in the world to make this sound pretty, but it is at the end of the day, and it's not just specific to Ontario, it's not specific to Canada. This is something, Scott, that's happening across the world. We're seeing reports of it everywhere in the world. Countries and governments are basically telling their citizens that you don't want to get vaccinated, that's fine. However, there are going to be policy mechanisms being put in place to make life more difficult for you if you choose not to get vaccinated. At what point do you think those that are hesitant will feel vulnerable? I'm the only one that's not. We saw that in Quebec. As soon as the premier announced that the mandatory vaccines will be a requirement, everybody who was on the fence of getting the vaccine, we saw a sky-high rocket number of cases, a number of people who wanted to get the vaccine. And so that's part of the reason why governments around the world are using this policy lever as a way to increase vaccine uh, the number of people who are vaccinated. They're, by mandating it, by requiring vaccine passports, you're, you're making people who are on the fence go and get the vaccine because they then realize they don't really have much of a choice. That's, that's on a domestic level, but on an international level, if you plan to travel anytime in the, in the future, yeah. you're going to have to get vaccinated because more, I mean, there are literally a handful of countries in the world that still don't require proof of vaccination. To the majority of countries around the world, they will and are currently requiring vaccination proof. And it seemed as part that worked for the reopening uh, way back when, when, you know, if we hit a certain number, we get so many vaccinated, then we can do this. And if we get so many vaccinated, we can then we can do that. That it, it seemed to work when we positioned it that way. Yes. And then the thing the difference now, which a lot of our, our listeners might be thinking about, well, then if we got the vaccination rate so high, then why do we care about passports? Simply yeah. put, the variant. I mean, the, you know, the Delta variant has shown evidence that it can really, uh, you know, put a system to its knees a bit. And by that, I mean that it's highly transmissible. It's very infectious in communities. We're very worried about a fourth wave here because of the Delta variant. We're looking at other countries where the Delta variant has taken toll over their system, and we don't want that to happen here. And so, yes, you can vaccinate the majority of people. Yes, our vaccination rates are high. 
However, we need to make sure everybody is protected. And so one way to do that is to increase the vaccination rates to its maximum. So to get the most number of Canadians vaccinated as soon as possible. Uh, is the whole passport issue a political red herring uh, in the sense that are we having any problems with people having to prove that they're vaccinated or like, uh, you know, and I think I've talked to, the, to you about this before, a doctor, you know, visiting my mother in long term care. I had to show proof of both vaccinations and I actually totally forgot about that. And, but luckily had it all on my phone because I had taken a picture of it and that was satisfactory. So, you know, at the end of the day, is there really a problem with trying to figure out who is vaccinated and who isn't? I mean, uh, the only real difference I can tell is the people who are vaccinated are talking about it. The people that aren't aren't talking about it. But if you need to show proof do we not have that ability we don't currently have a, a, a standard system across the country and so you know we know quebec is introducing a system for their vaccine passports uh, here in ontario you're showing pictures of certificates you get when you got your second dose most of us when we got our second dose we got an email with a certificate saying we've received yeah. both doses however i mean there are questions whether that could be you know manipulated whether people can show fraud ones do we need a standard system? And the other point I'll bring up, Scott, which is in line with what you're asking about, is that, you know, if Quebec decides to move forward, which it is with the vaccine passports, and here in Ontario, as our premier noted, that it's a hard no, well, then what happens if you need to go to Montreal or Quebec? Um, are you, how are you going to comply with their system? And so I, what we're scared about from a policy perspective is that you're going to have a disjointed response to this vaccine passport, where each province is doing their own thing. From the federal government, what we're hearing from Ottawa is that the federal government is working on an international passport, which is within their jurisdiction. And by that is that Canada, the federal government, is working on a way, on a system that us Canadians, when we travel abroad, can show the rest of the world we're vaccinated. However, the federal government is leaving it to the provinces to decide how they want to mandate that vaccine passport. That is short-sighted because it's going to create problems between different provinces. And the issue there is that the way our healthcare system is set up and our political processes is that healthcare delivery is within the, the provinces. And this is why the federal government is trying to be very careful with its wording and not say that they will take control over domestic vaccine passports. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, to me, this it seems we're going around in circles here um, because I'm not sure that what we have now is not adequate or, as you're talking about, the federal plan, which is involving your own passport and personal travel and such. I mean, you could take that same passport and use it in the province. Exactly. I mean, your, pa- exactly. your passport is your passport, where you're go- whether you're going across to Buffalo or you're going to Manitoba. It's still a, it's still a solid proof of, of identification. And that's what a lot of us have been asking for, is that why not streamline both processes? The reason why it can't be done and it's not being done is because of the way our system is set up, which is that healthcare delivery lies within the jurisdiction of the yeah. provinces, not the federal government. So, uh, you know, in simple words... But again, on that note, on that note... On that note, Ahmad, if, if I understand the whole jurisdiction thing, but they're doing it for international travel, so why would that passport not, not trump everything across the country, whether it's Quebec's or whoever's? Because they're trying not to step on each other's toes, for lack of better yeah. words. The federal yeah. government doesn't want to annoy or get on the bad side of the provinces. The provinces don't want to do that with the federal government. So you're left now with multiple systems for domestic vaccine passports, and one system for international. And I 100% agree with you. What would make logic and what would make sense is that since we're already developing this international vaccine passport, 
Why not just use it within the provinces? And by the way, keep an eye out for that because some provinces might actually end up going in that direction. Might say that mm-hmm. you know we're not going to create a, a new system. We're just going to use what the federal government has created. Canada tends to be a little bit slow in, in in following these ideas through. So it's just a waiting time. And a lot of us suspect that Ontario, for example, although it's hard known now by the premier on the vaccine passport, will actually have to change their position on this, given that the fall is coming and we're expecting a wave might actually resurface. Uh, how concerned are you with that wave and the kids going back to school and under 12 not vaccinated? We are concerned because we're looking at other examples from around the world where they have had high rates of vaccinations and are now facing a lockdown and mask indoors and outdoors mandates. And so there is a concern that the fall might bring us another wave. Uh, the hope here is that you know, our borders are still relatively closed for international tourists. They are technically closed for international tourists. We've just opened the border with the U.S. And so we're waiting and watching to see what will happen with our case numbers. Uh, and this is part of the reason why everybody's urging people who are not vaccinated to get vaccinated for their own safety and for the safety of others. Uh, here's a question for you uh, via email, doctor. Uh, Mike wants me to ask you, uh, he feels that the vaccine has not been around long enough to have long-term side effects. Studies does not feel comfortable about any of that. Do you want to comment? Well, the evidence has been clear that the, the, the vaccines have been studied extensively now. They've run large clinical trials, which are the equivalent to what you would see over a long period of time. And for us in the medical and scientific field, when we look at the scientific evidence and its quality, uh, the, you know, this, the evidence that demonstrated the effectiveness and safety of the vaccine has been crystal clear that as far as we know till today, uh, the vaccines are safe. Uh, and there has no been evidence to prove otherwise. I mean, that you could say the same uh, about everything else you've encountered in your life, whether it's aspirin, Advil, other types of vaccinations. They all undergo clinical trials and they all undergo a peer review process where experts around the world review that evidence and they put forward a recommendation whether it's safe for public consumption. There's never a bulletproof equation here. There is best case scenario. And best case scenario is that the vaccine has uh, rare, rare, exceptionally rare side effects, and it is safe for public consumption. Dr. Ahmad Khalid with us, health policy expert, advisor, medical doctor, and lecturer on health systems and policy, and helping us to understand all of this. Doctor, as always, thanks so much for the clarity. Much appreciated. Be well. Same to you. Thanks, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let's bring in Duff Conagher, co-founder of Democracy Watch, who has uh, started the uh, position, uh, petition rather, and is with us now. Duff, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Yes, I am. Thank you. Hope you. Uh, so. Thank you, Duff. So, you know, there's been lots and lots of chatter about this for, my goodness, pretty much the duration of this uh, pandemic. And uh, now we're at the point where things are opening up. We're in restaurants, we're in malls, we're even at sporting events. Is it not a good time to go uh, to the polls? Uh, no, not at all, mainly because it's illegal. And that's why the governor general should say no to the prime minister in the same way that the uh, British Supreme Court ruled that uh, the British Prime Minister's uh, shutting down of Parliament back in 2019 was illegal because he had no reasonable justification for it, and it was going against the will of Parliament. We're a parliamentary democracy, not a prime ministerial dictatorship, and 327 MPs voted in at the end of May, including the Prime Minister, to not hold an election 
Uh, and so the governor general should uphold the will of parliament, not the dictatorial whim of the prime minister. So this is this is illegal because of what you just stated, that uh, it was agreed that there would not be an election called. Is that accurate? That's part of it. We also have a fixed election date law uh, in our election act, fixing the election date for October 2023. And uh, we also have a convention, which is part of our unwritten constitution, it's created by the practice of the key political actors and the prime minister in 2011 and 2015 and 2019 followed the fixed election date law in 2011 there was an election it was before the fixed election date but that it happened because there was a vote of non-confidence in the government passed by a majority of MPs <clears throat> so a majority of MPs said we don't want this government anymore we want to have an election a majority of MPs uh, in the end of May, 327 to 1, again, with Prime Minister Trudeau in, voting in favor of this, voted to not have an election now. So we're in a parliamentary democracy, not a prime ministerial dictatorship. And the Governor General has a legal right to say no and say, no, you're, sorry, Prime Minister Trudeau, your request is illegal. And again, I understand what you're saying. That I... The British Supreme Court rejected the uh, British PMs shutting down of Parliament as an illegal violation against uh, Parliament's will. I understand what you're saying, Duff, but the average, you know, we hear the average minority government only lasts about 18 or so months because there is a vote that's of non-confidence. That's meaningless. So, so there hasn't been a no vote of non-confidence. It doesn't but matter who's how long the average I understand uh, that. I understand that. But isn't it kind of odd to say that between now and whenever they decide to call an election, the government may throw something perp uh, throw something out that, in fact, will uh, generate a vote of non-confidence? That's no? fine. If the government wants to do that, it has to be an actual vote of non-confidence, though. And that means a budgetary, uh, a budgetary measure or uh, something literally serious like a, a declaration of war. You can't just say... That anything Let's go to the polls. Yeah. No, but again, that that I understand that. As well. I understand that you know you just can't call an election for the sake of calling an election uh, prior to that date. But would it be that difficult to force a vote of non-confidence at this point, considering where all these parties are? Mm, you know, if the, if the prime minister was to announce something tomorrow, boom, that could trigger a non-confidence vote. Parliament's not open, so no, it couldn't until Parliament opens again. If if Trudeau but wants can't, to come back can't and they, introduce but a can't, resolution in the House, but again, would the that House not calls happen? For an election and a majority of MPs vote in favor of that, then he can go to the Governor General because he has the will of Parliament behind him. But for one MP to call an election when 327 MPs don't want an election, that's not democratic. That's dictatorial. It goes against our parliamentary democracy system, our system of responsible government. The Liberals have the confidence of the House. There is no reasonable justification, and it's illegal to request an election in that circumstance, just like it was illegal for the British P Prime Minister to shut down Parliament when the, uh, he had the, the uh, confidence of Parliament and Parliament wanted to operate according to votes by a majority of MPs. So, and just correct me if I'm wrong here, Duff, so there's nothing the Prime Minister can do to trigger an election at this point if he wanted to trigger one, yes, he say, could. by he Sunday? Could. He could, well, not by, well, by what? Sunday, no. He has to open the House, introduce a resolution, and have a majority of MPs vote in favor of having an election, because the current vote on the record at yes. the end of May is... But again, but again, 
Duff, I keep coming back to all he has, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, you know more about this than I do, that all he has to do is present something that is not acceptable to the opposition in some way. Parliament then gets called back. You know more about that than I do. And and then a vote is taken. I mean, I, you know, it, it, what are the chances of the prime minister just saying, oh, election uh, on Sunday, saying, okay, an election's on September, whatever, or October, whatever. I mean, wouldn't there have to be something... Wouldn't there, wouldn't there have to be something to trigger it? Because immediately, uh, the opposition could use the, uh, use the point that we don't want an election. He called an election. Um, and again, we go back to the throne speech where they were, you know, there was all this big money being spent and, and, and nobody was really, uh, holding them account for it because they didn't want to trigger an election. So uh, again, if the prime minister wants to trigger one, can't he do that legally here? He can open parliament and get a vote of non-confidence or a vote in favor of an election. So why would he not do that? I don't like, know. Why would he not introduce, you know, like, again, you're working on the assumption that on Sunday he's going to call a day and, and an election, and here we go. I would suggest what he's going to do is create some sort of political firestorm. That will draw all this uh, together, and then there will be a vote of non-confidence. I, I doubt there will be a vote of non-confidence. He'd be hard-pressed to... Uh, put forward something that will not get uh, either the block, the, the uh, NDP or the Conservatives voting in fair, favor of it, or enough from all three of those parties to pass it, which has happened with everything that the Liberals have introduced. Mm-hmm. And Trudeau is just out there lying. He's saying, oh, Parliament's not functioning. Well, actually, Parliament's passed everything the Liberals have introduced within the average period of time that things are passed when you look at the history of Parliament. It doesn't mean that they've Parliament, uh, the Trudeau Liberals have introduced something and it's passed the next day. That's not mm-hmm. the standard of Parliament uh, operating properly and functioning properly. The standard is the opposition opposes, introduces amendments, calls for debate, sends it to committee, all of which takes time, on average, about six months, for something to be introduced and for it to be passed. And on average things that the Liberals are introducing have passed within six months. So he's lying when he's saying Parliament is not functioning. Parliament has functioned since the 2019 election exactly the same way as it usually functions, and government introduces something, and six months later, if the government moves it forward, it passes. If the government doesn't move it forward, then it doesn't pass, and the government controls whether things move on to second reading, third reading, etc., and into committee. Uh, so everything that the Liberals have tried to move forward has passed within the usual time period. It's just a false claim that Parliament's not functioning. He's lying because he wants to abuse his power and call a snap election. Uh, and it's it's illegal, again. Do you, so do you see a snap election? He can introduce you something, and if it doesn't, he can, he can introduce a motion for non-confidence vote. And if it passes, then he ha- have the non lack of confidence of the government and be able to go to the governor general. He can introduce a resolution saying the House calls for an election to happen. And if that passes, he would also be on legal grounds. But for one MP to say, I want an election when 327 don't, that is illegal under our system. And just again, like the British Supreme Court ruled, it was illegal for one MP, the British PM, to shut down Parliament when a majority of parliamentarians wanted to continue operating.
Where do you see this going? Do you see this, Duff, as, as you know, if, if in fact uh, there is another vote and, and, uh, and the opposition votes to, can you see them voting to continue on or, or, or not? I mean, it, it, uh, yeah. if it's, if it's got I mean, to this thing- point. If, it, if it's got to this point, can you see this blowing up in the PM's face here? It, you know, he wants an election and he gets it turned down. Uh, hopefully, yes. That's what definitely should happen. The governor general should do her job, even though she was handpicked uh, through a process controlled by Prime Minister Trudeau. She should not roll over like a lapdog, as many governor generals have in the past, and, and also lieutenant governors across the country, and allow the prime minister... Uh, to abuse his power. We're, we're, right, we're in court right now in B.C. and in uh, New Brunswick, waiting for the ruling in New Brunswick because it's already been heard, and waiting for the court hearing in B.C. We're challenging the B.C. NDP premiers and the New Brunswick Progressive Conservative premiers' snap election calls, with, which both violated their provincial fixed election date laws, and hoping the courts will do like the British Supreme Court and say, no, that was illegal, and the lieutenant governor should have said no. Because one member of the legislature cannot just on a whim decide to hold an election when the rest of the legislature, a majority of it, wants to continue operating. So we've had uh, uh, 2,500 people sign the petition in the first couple of days. Another uh, 1,700 have signed it in the last uh, 24 hours. More and more people. It's up over 4,000 now. And uh, hopefully the Governor General will do her job and respect the will of voters. A poll, a recent poll showed that only 26% of people want a fall election. Uh, 99% of MPs don't. She should follow the will of voters and the will of Parliament and not the dictatorial whim of the Prime Minister who's trying to do a power grab. What do you think the chances are of the uh, Governor General doing what, you, uh, what you're suggesting? We'll see whether she's a person of integrity who upholds parliamentary democracy or will roll over for a dictatorial whim of a prime minister who's ignoring the law and ignoring parliament and ignoring uh, what most voters want. It's a real test of her. Again, she was handpicked by Trudeau through a process he controlled. Uh, 90% of of Canadians, according to a poll taken last February, wanted an all-party committee of MPs to choose the governor-general to ensure we didn't end up with a partisan lapdog who would roll over and do whatever the prime minister wants, even when they're abusing their power. Trudeau ignored that and and set up an advisory panel. He chose everybody on it, had his cabinet minister and friend, Dominic LeBlanc, co-chair it, got the candidate he wanted, of course. That's why Dominic LeBlanc was there, to ensure that one of the people on the short list would be a person Trudeau wanted, and then handpicked her. Hopefully she'll act with integrity and do her job properly and not roll over for him. We are a and again, this democracy. is we are not a, prom, a prime ministerial dictatorship. But Duff, again, this comes back to uh, the issue that everything is status quo, that all of a sudden the prime minister doesn't pull a rabbit out of his hat that completely ticks off the opposition. This all in some way ends up back in the House and a non-confidence vote happens, and then an election is called. Do you think the uh, the prime minister is going to open himself up to what you're speaking of and 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 push this through uh, illegally, as you suggest, or do you think he'll just use pull another political lever to make it happen? I think he's heading, although I think the petition of 4,000 people 
We'll give them pause in the media coverage and, and the, all the opposition parties saying they don't want an election and it's irresponsible and a, and a self-interested power grab to do it and the media coverage they're receiving. I think that will give him some pause. But, you know, we've seen Trudeau violate the fundamental key government ethics rule that protects our democracy uh, uh, twice uh, as prime minister. So, as many have said, he clearly doesn't seem to think rules and laws apply to him uh, that, and that he can do whatever he wants. So we've heard let's hope that he's finally learned his lesson and uh, and will not violate the law again and will instead try to do it properly, which is if there's an unconfidence vote against his government in the House or a vote in favor of an election, then he is, has complete legal right to go to the governor general and say, please call an election. But otherwise... He's, he will be acting illegally. He will be violating the law. Uh, there's a rumor floating around that he could make an announcement as early as Sunday. Have you heard anything of that? The rumor was last Sunday. Sunday. So the, rumors <laughs> continue. the rumors continue. Yeah. And um, we'll see. Uh, more and more people will be signing the petition. More and more are every few minutes. And there's more media coverage of this. And, and uh, people are waking up to it. Um, you know, it, we all haven't talked about much about it. it. It's also, it's of course dishonest because he voted against an election in May, and he's making false claims about why it's needed. But it, it also is unfair to a lot of voters, and will be dangerous for many voters. Parliament fixed election dates in Canada's election law back in 2007 explicitly. They said to make the election more fair for everyone. It's more fair mm-hmm. for all the parties. And it's more fair for anyone who wants to run as a candidate because they can arrange their lives so that they have time to run or volunteer, participate in the election in other ways. And uh, it will also be dangerous given that uh, COVID is uh, three times more uh, dangerous in terms of being three times more contagious uh, now with the Mm -hmm. Delta variant that's dominant across the country. And and voters who are vulnerable will feel completely justifiably hesitant about going to a polling station. And Newfoundland and Labrador called the snap election last winter. And then the COVID outbreak happened. The election date was postponed twice. Voter turnout plunged to a record low, as many voters were prevented from voting because yeah. suddenly they had this new requirement to, that they had to register for, receive in the mail, fill in, and mail back their ballot on short yeah. deadlines. And a bunch of them missed the deadline and were denied the right to vote. That's not an election we want to have the lowest voter turnout ever, you know, it's, you're not going to end up with a, a legitimate uh, government after that. And it's just such a bad idea in every way, as well as being illegal. Duff Conagher with us, co-founder of Democracy Watch, uh, currently have a petition uh, that is being signed uh, asking the Governor General, uh, General to reject any request by the Prime Minister for a snap election. Duff, thanks for the time and insight, as always. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you. You too. Take care. Stay safe. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.